Hi class, um, let's start the chapter. And hopefully by now you're done with your assignment and look forward to have something on the Padlet. Uh, a question should be sent, a uh, discussion the question should be posted in the Padlet soon. Thank you. And then start the presentation. Okay, um, last time we spoke about uh, uh, fiscal policies and how the fiscal policies is done. Here we are working on establishing how it's the money uh, uh, policies is done. But first we need to know about money and banking and how these things are working together. Now, in this chapter, we will be learning about the objectives is to describe the function, the characteristics, and the history of money. Explain what is, is and what is not money and describe the main function of modern banks as the money, money lenders. Explain how a small amount of cash can support many loans and create more money. Now, what's the function of money? Money serves, serves three important functions. One, money is the medium of exchange and intermediaries used to trade, uh, avoid the inconvenience of a barter system. In other words, that if you, you know, you have two goods that you want to exchange them and instead of giving tons of trees and written tons of uh, gold, you just take the trees, uh, pay money for it, and let this person, you know, buy the gold with the money that they have. So it's, it is a way of exchanging. The second thing is the store value of a value, allows the transfer of purchasing power from one present to another to future. So if I have the money or you have the money for the future, still this value is there and it's not going to go bad and also a unit of account. So uh, can be used a value of good and service, record the debit and make a calculation. So when you buy a Coke, you ask them how many units of dollars, he will tell you for $2 means two units of account, $2. Um, so that's, it has a unit of account. So what's the characteristic of money? Something has to have these, should have these things that to make the money is a money. First of all, it has to be acceptable. You cannot bring something and call it money. It has to be acceptable in the, the trading place. Second has to be adorable. So if it's worth today, uh, and it should be worth the next day and shouldn't, shouldn't be going bad uh, or getting destroyed easily. Has to be portable. It's easy to move from one hand to another or move it around. Uh, divisible, it can be a $10 divided and can be $1 
10 pieces of $1, so it's divisible. It has to be standardized, easily to recognize, but not easily to copied, and controlled by a central authority. Could be a central bank or central authority. Now, the history of money, how the money started. Uh, in the old days, very old days, one group invites another to a ceremony and gives them a gift, expecting the favor to be returned. So there was an exchange of favors. Eventually, notes were made of whom owed whom. <clears throat> so the, when you give the note to someone, it means that you're saying that I owe you that amount of uh, things, which is represented by that note. Then what's happened, then there was a barters, so trading one good for another. So there you can see that you can trade money for um, trees and money for oil and trade money for food, money for sandwich. So it's a trading. Uh, uh, one good for another. And helps you trade things between each other with exchanging the money. And widely valued goods can eventually become a commodity money. So anything uh, uh, a widely valued good, like a salt, could be beads, gold, and sometimes used to be flowers, it, anything that um, got a widely valued good. Now, the history of money uh, in 700 BC, um, there was a coins which is made of gold, allowed the standardization of weights. So each gold according to the standard of weight was worth of something. But then what's happened is was a heavy mixing in a cheap metal causing the inflation because now the gold, when you mix it with coppers or something else, it will weight heavier and people think it is pure gold. So that caused some inflation. Then what's happened is as we started to see the certificate of deposit. We start to build of exchange in the 13th centuries. So there will be a certificate, you put deposit gold, and you get a certificate where you do your, your expenses. And it's all about a certificate of deposit or bills of exchange. It means I owe you a form, a form of I owe you that much. So if, when you give me um, um, trees, for example, or a car, I give you a certificate. Certificate say I owe you $10,000 or $20,000. This is what calls a certificate of deposit or bills of exchange. And also could be exchanged with other as a paper money. So I owe you document, whatever, it can be exchanged for the papers of the money. That's happening in 13th centuries. Then in the 17th centuries, the merchant bank started. And they start printing their own money for other use, just to use and could be redeemable at the bank itself. So you can take that money and go to that bank and get your gold in return or something that you did. But later on, they started from a merchant, um, you know, 
printing their own money is each bank they start doing a checkbook which is an instruction to a bank to transfer money from one account to another account and in the 20th century you saw the bank of canada which is the government took all overall currencies production so the production starts coming from there only government and since 1990 and 1935 the bank of canada issue fiat money declared to by law by declared to be money by law so nobody's allowed to print money anymore only only canada uh, bank of canada now the what's the what is the types of money um, you know we will be talking about the types of money but the main things is the commodities money uh, so uh, five tons of wheat is money. Uh, the coins, the papers money, and the checkbook money, which is the bank deposit or IOU, or transfer the cash from one to another. Now, the fractional, the history of money. The fractional reserve banking. People usually write check and do not take out the actual cash. So if you write a check of $1,000 to someone, you're not expecting that this person goes and cash out and take that $1,000 all. Maybe we'll take part of it and leave some of it uh, in his bank account. So bank loan the excess reserve out of out and at interest rate. So let's assume you I give you $10,000, you go to the bank and you deposit it. And you take out one thousand. What's remaining is nine thousand. That nine thousand bank doesn't keep it in their bank. Is they will partially, big part of it will be giving it to loan and to other people who needs a loan and collect interest on it. But they have to. They keep a fraction back in the case that depositors. So if you come back, you can collect your money there. So they have to keep a you know, uh, a portion of it. This leverage allow a greater rate of return for the bank, more interest. So because now the bank, what it does, collect that your 10,000, you take out 1,000, remaining 9,000, is pretending, is making the estimation in general and the aggregated, he finds out that as you might have 1,000 take more. So then he's remaining 8,000, he can give it to, as a loans to other and collect interest on it. So what constitutes a money? Anything widely accepted as a medium exchange to buy goods or and service or to settle a debits. So anything that help to do the exchange of between goods and services or you sort of settle a debit to owe, I owe you some money, so you paid. But there is different definitions here for the money supply. So there is no single accepted measure. So we have what you call M1, which is made of the currency or the basic one, which is made of the currency of circulation, the money that's going around. Um, you know, own this, you owe you, you give the loan to somebody, the money gets circulated, plus the demand deposit, which is, you know, that you put uh, 9,000 
that's that's the money you put ten, you took out, becomes a nine thousand. So that's a demand deposit. You have a more wider uh, explanation for the money supply, which is called M two, which is made of M one. M one is a circulation money currency in circulation, demand deposit, plus the notice and the personal term deposit. So you make a deposit for five years and you get your money after five years. That's what's called personal term deposit. And then you have um, the M3, which is made of M2, uh, which is mean M2, we said made of M1 and notice and personal, which is M3 is equal with the M2 plus certificate of deposit. And there is several others. So the money supplies is depend of whether you're looking at the M1, which is the basic, the fact one, or M2, or the M3. Now, to look at it here to, in a way, let's say in Canada, uh, 2016, we had the M1 is made of, as we said, currencies and demand deposit. But the M2 is, if you notice, is much higher because there is a notice of deposit. So you you get a notice saying uh, you and personal term deposit, which is certifications, and uh, that you get from the bank, and uh, you know, and then you have uh, a certificate of deposit which is uh, M3, which is can be bonds or something like that, you know, not a bond certificate that you put in the bank and you put money in the bank and you get a certificate of return. Now, what's not money? Uh, because we need to separate money from the not money because we need to work on the money supply. Uh, not money, what's not money is, Currencies in the wallet or tells of a bank. So the money that is kept in a wallet of a bank uh, or a tells of bank. Gold is not money. And financial security, stocks and bonds are not money. Gold is not money because it's a good, it's not a uh, means of exchange. Check, credit card, debit cards are not money and deposit at the near bank when you make a deposit in the beginning is now money now let's understand much better and test our information say if david deposit 240 dollars cash into his check in account at the commercial bank so he's putting it in the checking account has the money supply changed the answer no because you know um, the amount is being put in the checking account so the amount in circulation in the out in the market is went down and the amount uh, on deposit went up so there is no change in money supply if later on david transferred this 240 from his checking account to his saving account in the same bank then you would see that yes, there is changes in M1 because is less because the demand deposit decreased and the money circulation started. You know, 
because you're in the saving account, not in the checking account. And M2 does not change because there is not much changes happening there. You always go to, to the previous um, calculation that we said, what's M1, what's M2, what's M M3, to understand it better. Now, let's assume that you're giving the following data, and there's how much coin, there is one month certificate, there's month deposit. You need to do some practice to, to differentiate between M1, M2, and M3, because that will affect the calculation of the money supply and how you can work with the money supply. And because the money supply, the more money supply, the more inflation, but there is more business, it's like a, a, gain, a, a tool that a government and central bank can work with it to improve the economy or you know, slow down the economy or slow down the inflation. There's rules that you can do with the money supply. So with this information, coin certificate of deposit, um, demand deposit notice and personal deposit, term deposit notice. What the value of M1, M2 and M3? So the M1 is made of, as we said, coins, notes and demands. So the coins is 13, the notes is 27 and the demand deposit is 72, so 112. Now you add this to the notice, the notice and personal deposit, so that's the M3, M2, and eventually what you got in the M2, you add a certificate of deposit, and that's what makes a, a M3. Now the financial institution, you might have some a question about what's the difference between M1, M2, and M3, and why there is a difference, why we need this taken into consideration. The financial institution act as an intermediaries between households, business, government that have funds available for lending, and other who wants to borrow those funds. So the banks is their job, lower financial is a, a middleman who takes the money from other to deposit and he does that, sell it, uh, sell it to other people. The two broad categories is banks and new banks. Now, charter bank, the financial student which receive a charter of incorporated under the Bank Act. Major ones, we, you heard of it, CIBC, BMO Bank of Montreal, uh, Scotiabank, uh, TD Bank. These are Royal Bank. These are the banks who is a financial student, chartered financial student. And the near banks, anything that acts like a bank but does not have the charted, which is the financial institution which share many of the functions of a commercial banks, but um, not defined as a bank under the Bank Act. So these include like, like credit unions, the trust company, and mortgage and loans association. Trust company, there's so many trust companies, small ones, credit unions also. The Canadian banking system, there is a bank profit 
make most of their profit from uh, uh, the, on loan because they lend money and they collect interest on it, so they'll get it from the loan. What do you call uh, a spread? The difference between the interest rate a bank charge when they borrow money and when they pay the savers. So if I'm saver there, I collect one ten percent. But when they lend the money to others, they collect twenty percent as interest. So there is a ten percent difference of collection with a compound interest in it, and that's what their profit comes in. Now there is, as we said, there is a target reserve ratio. So we, in the early in the class, this class, we said that when a bank gets money from someone, they will lend it to other, but they will keep percentage on it, which is that's called um, a target reserve ratio. So it's a fraction of deposit that the bank wants to hold in cash, just in case somebody required amount of money. And the Canadian banking system in Canada, by far the biggest source of credit. And these are the banks who is really gives loans to or debit outstanding to others. And this is the numbers who is, you know, uh, domestic banks, how much they give, which is 50%, 56% of the total debt in Canada, people who's borrowing money is 56% on it. So these are the breakdown, like for example, the credit union, which is they have a $27 billion lending people, which is it, total of 10% of total debt uh, in Canada. Now creating money, um, assets, Money, I mean, the whole financial statement made of asset, liabilities, and net worth or equity. And always, this is how you balance things. Uh, asset equal with the liability plus uh, net worth. So asset is what a company own or what is owed to do it to it. So they own that or they own from someone for them. So these are their assets. Liability is what a company owes, which is they want to have to, they have to go to others. Like the rent is one of the liabilities. And the difference between them is what you call a net worth, which is the total assets uh, minus the total liabilities. And if you, if I have, if I own $100 and um, I borrowed $90 for somebody, which is I have to pay it, is 100 minus 90, it becomes 10. That's what net worth of my company. So the total assets minus the total liabilities and also called equities. Um, creating money, how you create a money. So the net, let's say, here, the net, net worth of uh, a bank, Seymour Bank, is $20,000 million or $2 billion, $20 billion. So the reserve, they have to reserve uh, a certain percentage, which is $10,000, and they have loans to the customer giving, 
and securities and fixed asset all together is 120,000. Now, this came 120,000 from the fact that somebody came or a group of people came and deposited 100,000 and there is also 20,000 is the owners or shareholder equity, which is a uh, total is 120,000. So if you notice, there is a balance between them. Now, so the target reserve ratio is the portion of deposit that a bank wants to hold in cash. Here, we have the $10,000 that bank wants to hold in cash. Now, so the target reserve is equal with the target reserve ratio. What's the percentage? 10%, 2%, 1%, multiplied by the demand deposited. In other words, because is here we have the reserve ratios is 10% of $100,000, this is why it becomes $10,000. So it is a 10% of $100,000 becomes a $10,000. So this is the reserve ratio is 10%. You have a 1 million, 10% that you have to reserve it. You have 10 million, 10%, which is 1 million, you have to reserve it. You have 100 million, 10% of what you have to reserve it, which is, uh, 100 million, uh, you, have, you have to reserve 10 million. So there is also what you call excess reserve. And reserve in excess of what a bank wants to hold as it is target reserve. So excess reserve is what's actual reserve minus target reserve. It could be a minus and could be a positive, by the way. If you have $10,000, um, uh, as a reserve and you have supposedly have only $5,000 to reserve of that. So you have an excess reserve of 5,000 because 10 minus 10, five is five. So that's what you call excess reserve. It could be a reverse and a, it could be a negative too. So if there is a new deposit, you have one person came in and put $1,000 extra. So you're holding 10% of it, which is 11,000. Now, this 11,000 is not a 10% of 101,000. So what's happened here is really this with a new deposit, you have an excess reserve of, because you need it with the 1,000, you have to only hold 10%. It's $100 you have to hold. But what's happened, you're still holding into the $1,000, so you have a $900. Another way of calculation is the fact that you do um, $11,000 reserve and what is supposed to be your reserve, so it's a $900. So you 10% of 101, that's supposed to be 10,100, but you have as a 11,000. So 11,000 that you have as a reserve minus what it's supposed to be is equal with the $9,000, which is that what you call excess reserve. Now, banks use the excess reserve to make more loans to others. Loans are eventually deposited, created more monies, and the process continue until, you know, whenever there's excess reserve, people make more deposit, bank keeps some of it 
alone, most of it, uh, say 90%, and somebody comes in, take that 90%, comes and deposit it again, and they loan 10%, uh, keep 10% of $900 and gives the, the rest of it. And some it keeps moving, and this is how they create money. But here, we need to calculate what's the money multiplier. So if I'm putting $1, this dollar in a bank will make a money multiplier. So it's a more than $1 for the bank because what's happening here, they're keeping 10 cents and they're lending 90 cents. And that 90 cents, some people will use, say, 10 cents from it or 20 cents from it and bring back uh, 60 cents. And also they're going to give it loan that 90% of the 60 cent to other. So it's the same money getting multipliers, circulations. And to do the money multiplier, the increase in the total deposit that would occur in the whole banking system as a result of deposit in a single bank. It keeps you keep you know depositing and somebody comes in and take that money, deposit back, and you can give it loan and then can, because you all you have to keep is only 10% or 5% or 2%. So Money multiplier is the difference between the deposit and the difference between the reserve, how much you reserve. In other words, the other way of calculation is the reverse of target, target reserve ratios. So let's see what we mean here. Assume that the national bank, the nation's bank system is over reserved by 20 million. What is the value of the money multiplier and what is the maximum possible expansion in the money supply if the target reserve ratio? You see, the, the, it depends on how much you're supposed to reserve the target reserve. So in this case, you have the multiplier is 10%. So the expansion of the $20 million is really um one over we said with the reserve one one when we said here if you notice one over the uh, target reserve ratio so the multiplier one over the target reserve ratio which is here is 10 percent if you notice and which is becomes a 10. so you multiply 10 into 20 see um, becomes a 200 million changes happening here Let's say if the multiplier change, so one over 2, 0.02, 2%, uh, 2%, you have 50. So the less is the multiplier, the, the, the um, in a way, um, uh, the higher is the multiplier, the better for the bank to create more money. And this is the same thing here, 5%, one over, 5% becomes a 20, so 20 multiplied 20 becomes a $400. Now, money multiplier also works in a reverse if it's under reserve. So if it's, what's happening here is a negative in your reserve. So if you have uh, a minus here, for example, so if you have a minus 10 under reserve, which is will result in will result in the minus 10, 20 multiplied minus 10 is a minus 200. So this to 20 million, you have to take. You cannot. It's a, it will have to take money from. It can work in a reverse way. Bank can call 
in loans decreasing a deposit. The way to fix up the negative, they can call back and loan and bring the loan back so they they can keep more money because there is more reserve they have to be, or decrease uh, seeing the deposit so they will take uh, less deposit. The size of multiplier can be reduced by increase in the bank target reserve. So you have a more target reserve. You can increase the amount of the amount itself. You can increase the amount of cash people hold. Um, you can work with that. And you can, in sufficient number of people whose credit worthy loans, you cannot give loans. These are affecting them. Or you can reduce the demand for loans during the recession. So in, people are less having an interest in borrowing, so it's kept with you. So here, what we spoke about it, it spoke the, the function and the characteristic of money because uh, uh, the types of money that, and the fraction bank system, and what is the what is the money and what is not money, the main function of a bank as a money lender, and how, many, uh, how money is created through deposit. So, we it is it is the first stage that we're gonna later on we'll talk about monetary policies in uh, next classes and how they how a bank can create money monetary policy central bank and it these are two tools there's a monetary policies and there is a fiscal policies and these are usually used to fix economy thank you very much bye bye.